So you know, as part of my uh, part of my job for these shows yes. is I stay on top of the news. And one of the things I've found really handy about Google now is it's getting a pretty good sense of the news I like to read. And this article showed up in my Google Now feed with wireless convergence on the Pro 5 Ubuntu phone levels up. And I thought to myself, oh, interesting. I hope they have a video of it because I really, uh-huh. want, to, I really want to see that. I'm hoping, <laughs> I hope that there's something to watch so I can see an action. So I come down here and I hit play and I think, this is the major think that sounds familiar. Uh, and I'm just sounds like a robot. Sounds like some sort of AI. So, yes. <laughs> you know, if I if I knew more people were going to watch this video, yeah. I would have tidied my lounge. Yeah, I was gonna, and maybe had a better mic. I mean, for goodness sake. But so, really, you're just in your in your you're in your room there. You hit uh, hit uh, you hit a button on your Ubuntu phone, and this giant Microsoft display lights up. Lights up. Now, what's with the Microsoft display? Tell us the story that's about a, that. That's a Meerkast dongle. So there's a, like numerous companies that make oh, Meerkast dongles, mm-hmm. and it just happens to be that the first one that we got working was a Microsoft one because I think that's the first one a developer happened to have nearby, yeah. and it was cheap. Uh, I think some LG TVs work as well. But um, so I bought one because he said that one works. And so I bought one, plugged it into the TV, went and got my phone. And when I came back, there was a Windows logo on my, <laughs> on my TV. Yeah. Ooh, whoops. Oh, okay. It's like, you know, we swallowed that pill too when we decided, well, I want a really good game controller under Linux. So I'll get the Xbox. Exactly. And even us, the most hardcore Linux users, eventually buckled down and did it for the most part. Uh, so yeah, this is, it looks pretty good. How's the performance? Um, so there's a little bit of lag and, um, it's, it's noticeable if you, if you like on that video, it's not very good because my thumb is jittering across the display, but I did another video where it's a lot smoother and I pick mm. up a window with a mouse and drag is that it on your channel too? Uh, yes. Yeah, the next video, I think. But does that one have nearly 10,000 views? That's the big question. Cause that apparently <laughs> no. that's all Chris is interested not got in. Some fat guy standing in front yeah. of a TV. That's why. <laughs> okay. It's only got, it's only got 2,700 views. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> also, OMG, the OMG Ubuntu effect helps. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, you just, uh, you press a button and it scans your local network for Miracast devices and it shows them all. So it will show your Sony TV or your Sanyo or Samsung oh, or whatever TV, but it might not necessarily connect to them. But the cool thing is, uh, the log files are captured in var log, like any you know standard Linux <laughs> device, and you can grab those. Uh, the the software is called Ethercast, AE Ethercast, and you just grab the log from there and file a bug on Launchpad, and they'll work through all the devices to get others working. So you asked about performance. Um, it's a bit laggy. Uh, it's uh, there's there's a bit of a delay, and they're working on improving the encoding and the performance. Um, and do it. There's, there's also some funky stuff that I don't fully understand about how there's multiple channels that you can send data to the device. There's like the video stream, which shows the display. And then there's a separate channel where you can tell it where the cursor is. So rather than you sending an image of what the desktop and an image of the, the cursor, you can tell it the XY coordinates of the cursor and the, the dongle nice. paints the cursor faster. Oh, so wow. You, you, the, you don't get that perception of lag. And this um, is uh, is now do these two devices set up a Wi-Fi network between each other directly, or do they just have to be on the same LAN? How does that work, dude? It's magic. I have no idea how the hell this works. <laughs> I just press a button and this stuff appears on my. Te- you can tell the surprise in my voice when it works. It was the first time I tested it. Really? And if you yeah, if you watch the video, like halfway through, when I look up, I pan the the phone up and look at the screen. I'm like, oh, oh, that worked then. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay that, then. That's the I love it when that kind of stuff happens. Um, 
And the nice thing is, is that uh, unlike uh, Chromecast, which isn't a lot of things, or um, Apple's um, AirPlay, uh, this this Mirrorcast. I mean, there's a lot of devices out there that have it built in as just sort of an industry standard, right? Mm-hmm. Right. My Sony TV, that TV actually has it built in, but it doesn't work yet. There's some protocol thing. Apparently, it turns out that Mirrorcast is a standard, but they all implement it differently. Every single dongle is broken. Surprise. You know, so, yeah. That's always how it goes. That you know what the Linux community has seen that before. That is not. Yep. We're we're used to that. Well, cool. I'm really. Uh, well, the good part is our part, the Ethercast part, is free software. It's on Launchpad. Launchpad.net/slash awesome. Ethercast. So you know, uh, I think it's using some components from some other other Mirrorcast tools that are around. So you know, if people want to get it working on their TV, then that's the code you need to hack on. You know, it's funny because a lot of times in discussions with people, when we talked about convergence. Uh, a lot of people, I think Matt was one of them, who was like, uh, call me when it's wireless. If I have to sit down and put my phone into a dock, I'm done. And I always thought, whatever, I'm looking, I want a dock. I yeah. want a hardwired connection. Dots are great. But there is something to the being able to just project your screen up onto a larger screen on almost anywhere you go. Like, if this took off, you could just see an organization equipping their conference rooms with those TVs that they know or, or those dongles that they know are going to work with something like this. And now you have the ability to present in front of everybody immediately by sending your screen oh, up there. that sounds great. Yeah. In fact, the first time I saw this, the first time I was at a sprint in Prague a few weeks ago, and the first time I saw it was one of the Unity 8 developers did a demo. We do like demos at our internal sprints so we get everyone up to speed with what's going on elsewhere in the company. And he stood up. And connected his phone, I say connected, you know, in the wireless way, uh, connected it to this dongle, which was connected to a projector. So we're all watching this on a projector and we're thinking, wow, you could actually give a presentation directly from your device because the phone becomes your mouse and keyboard. If you click on a field, which is a, a, an input field, the on-screen keyboard pops up on the phone. So you can just use the phone as a mouse and a keyboard. It's not the easiest thing to do. But if you wanted to give a presentation, you totally oh, yeah. could do oh, that. Oh, sure. I've done that with uh, some apps. And, you know, uh, I now that I think about it, I have seen offices that have Apple TVs and have Chromecast on hooked up to their devices. But in the case of the Apple TV, that's a huge expense because the devices that are capable of communicating with that have a massive premium, which is not always optimal in the business place. Uh, or in, or especially in in the education market, which is a massive field for this, a massive field for this. Uh, and the Chromecast, uh, the the downside to that, the price is right and the availability is high, but the dependency on a third party service makes it unreliable and makes it problematic for large institutions behind multi level firewalls and things mm-hmm. like that. So something that is over your local Wi Fi network, a industry standard to some degree, and built into potential mobile devices. There is a lot of room for that still. That's really cool. I'm excited. Check. This is Linux Unplugged, episode 149 for June 14th, 2016. Welcome to Linux Unplugged, your weekly Linux talk show that is reporting on the front lines of the Linux packaging cold war. 
My name is Chris. My name is Wes. You like that? Oh, I like it a lot. You know what I'm referring to. I certainly do. We're going to get into it. I mean, it's unbelievable. As if we had planned it, almost every week there is some big development in Universal Linux Packaging! You know, that one installer for all distros. Maybe we'll someday we'll even be able to use them. <laughs> well, Canonical is here this week with a huge bombshell announcement in this category. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to even try it right here on the show. We've been trying it and give you our early hands-on. Speaking of early hands-on, Elementary OS has their new Loki beta out based on Ubuntu 16.04 and full of all of their new shiny. There's also a few hints of things they may have coming. We'll tell you all about that. Our early impressions, because it is just a beta, so bear that in mind. And then we have a bunch of epic open source project updates. Stories that broke just in the last couple of days. Extremely relevant to our interest. So guess what? We're going to cover them right here on the show. Going to do that right here. Heck yes. The rumors of my vacation were false. That's coming later. I'm hanging in there for a few more weeks. Stay strong. Thinking back, thinking back, if I could have planned it, it would have been, I would have left town like like a honeymoon after a wedding. As soon as I wrapped up Lass's 10th anniversary, I would have left town because, boy, could I use it. But I'll tell you what, the fight goes on. We continue to be on the front lines, just like our virtual lug. Let's bring them in now. Time appropriate greetings, virtual lug. Hey, guys. Hello. 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 So I guess I made a comment last week because Wimpy messaged me. He's like, so are you on vacation? I'm like, "Uh, no, I need a vacation. (laughs) But no, I am not on vacation. So if you were surprised that I'm here this week, I apologize for misstating. Well, that's always a good surprise. Yeah. Well, thanks, Wes. Thanks. Um, But I will be going on vacation um, uh, the first week of July. So, uh, Mr. Colonel Nix will probably be sitting down with you on the show. Ooh. Yeah. And, uh, of course, uh, we'll probably have, uh, means I'll, prob- I'll probably miss two weeks of last, too. So, we'll probably have a guest host in there. Hint, hint. You may already know him. Hmm. Hmm. All right. So, that's not what we're here to talk about today, though. Today, th- we have some really big news. We have, like, what you might even say is breaking news. I should break it out just for the special event. Some CNN breaking news. This is CNN Breaking News. Big stories. Two big stories, really, to start the show off uh, with. Uh, number one is that NextCloud actually has uh, some code shipping. NextCloud 9 is available, and enterprise functionality is going open source, well ahead of the J- July promise, um, I guess. Uh, the early July promise, I guess. Uh, NextCloud makes available NextCloud version 9. They're also releasing all enterprise functionality as open source, building on top of the open source own cloud core and adding functionality and fixes. This release provides a solid base for users to migrate to. Hmm. What do you think, Wes? Are oh, you... yeah, they've got an Android app here they can get for free, too. Uh, are you surprised at how fast this that came? That is kind of fast. I mean, just from what they were saying before, they didn't really hint it. You know, I expected it in a month or two, maybe, but... Hey, maybe I'm gonna have to spin this up and just play with it. I'm sure there's not that that much that's different, right, than the own cloud I'm used to. But right. I'd be curious to see how this, it feels. I mean, this release really has got to be about uh, this new enterprise functionality, right? The new branding, and I think it's got to be about momentum too, right? They need to start off, you know, their new project and really have a good solid release and have a platform they built on. What's your read on it, Daredevil? Basically, I think it's a publicity stunt and smart because you just had a bad impact new. Yep. Uh, you have to bring new, fast impact news while you're still while still people are paying attention to what's going on with you. So it is sort of a building on the momentum thing uh, and a smart one. It shows a good instinct. It shows that they're you know they got some savvy behind them. We want that. This next cloud thing's going to work out. That's my that's what I think. I mean, look at them. I'm tempted is to that go a try prediction? it. 
I'm tempted. Well, I mean, oh yeah, maybe we should have a get one up and running. I I've just uh, I I I just sort of got my head wrapped around the last release of OnCloud, so it seems almost too soon to go to something else. But probably the sooner you switch, to be the better. A drop-in replacement too. Traditionally, though, the sooner you upgrade, probably the better, right? You don't want to go too many. I guess you oh, don't yeah. want to go too many releases. I mean, right? Probably true. Get it over. Exactly. With. All right. Anybody, yeah. Anybody else have thoughts on the new Next Cloud release before we move right along? Got a couple other big stories. So I thought this one was interesting, just to sort of rebuttal to some uh, discussion that was out there regarding uh, the slowdown of Steam machines. Wait, there's still Steam machines? Slowdown. I thought those yeah. were dead, Chris. No, no, they're still around. And in fact, that company, Valve. Has got a good announcement along with Dell. They've just pumped out a couple of more of these suckers. A couple of more of these. They've upgraded them to Skylake. These SOBs now got Skylake in them with DDR4 memory and some more NVIDIA GPUs. So it looks like they're uh, sort of going at this with a pretty reasonable expectation. This is at least, I'm just reading the words from Chris Suffin, I think. is He's the senior marketing manager at Alienware. And this is a direct quote. He said, we expect that the SteamOS catalog is going to strengthen at the end of the year. Mm. What do you think, Wesley? He knows stuff, doesn't he? It sounds like he does. What do you think he knows? I'm not sure, but I'm really curious. I think I have a hint. Because this, te- this is a further comment. He says, Vulcan will speed up transition for SteamOS to AAA content. Um, so maybe he hey, thinks oh. a lot of big games are going to be shipping with Vulcan support at the end of the year. That would be cool. So no. uh, is eight ninety nine the price point for you? Seven forty nine is the low price for a for an i five. Do you ever go for the low price? <laughs> GTX nine sixty eight gigs of RAM. Um, you know, actually, Wes, what do you what do you really? I mean, so you're gonna get two cores with an i five, and you're gonna get four cores with an i seven mm-hmm. in reality. But they're both shipping with a GTX nine sixty GPU, both shipping with eight gigabytes of RAM. Bull shipping uh, with uh, 802.11 AC Wi-Fi, and I hope Ethernet. Hopefully. One difference, though, is 500 gig hard drive in the cheaper one, one terabyte hard drive in the bigger one. But to be honest with you, I'm more likely to crack that thing up and put I a assume it SSD wouldn't be too hard to, yeah, just replace that. If I could. So, I, I mean, part of me thinks, how great are these games under Linux that they're optimized for more than two cores? Is that a thing? I mean, I have seen that it is a thing, but is it that common of is a thing that it's worth right? going from 750 to $900? Maybe not. Especially if I'm not really interested in a spinning Rust terabyte hard drive. And you're going to do aftermarket modifications anyway. But uh, what do you think of that price, seven forty nine for the entry? A little steep, but if you really don't want to assemble something yourself, you want to just have a dedicated appliance, and you already, you're in on your Steam library and you don't have a lot of Windows-only games, or the games you do like maybe will be here on the end of the year, maybe it would work. I, I don't know if the i5 is quad-core. Is it? I thought the i5 was uh, dual-core with uh, hyper-threading. Maybe I'm no, it's quad. Well, then I definitely would just get the i5. I yeah, think. okay. So what's the i7? Is it six core? It's quad with hyperthreading. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't really think that's worth it then. So Wimpy, what do you think? Uh, you've got the uh, Skylake or not Skylake? The uh, Skull Canyon is that what it is? The the really fancy like more gamer edition oh, wow. high end NUC. I'm drooling, yeah. Wimpy. What are your thoughts? Uh, it succeeded expectations. I'm suitably impressed. So. Um, it's got the uh, Skylake i7-6770HQ, so that's a, a quad-core 8-thread pro CPU. And it's got the Iris Pro 540, which I think is the top model at the moment. And, I, and my last NUC, which I got in November last year, was the NUC that was the best at the time. So it's the, the second best. And this significantly outperforms it. 
just using the Iris Pro. So the game that I'm most playing is Grid Auto Sport. And by nice. comparison, that on the old NUC would pump out around 35 frames per second average on um, uh, low settings at 720p. Uh, this new box can do 1080p medium graphics. Uh, about uh, 55 frames per second peaks at 75 frames per second, so significantly, significantly better. But the reason I've got hmm. it, the, the the project for the future, is um, it's got Thunderbolt, and I want to experiment with an external GPU mm-hmm. connected over Thunderbolt nice. uh, later in the year. Yes, that if I that worked, I, that goes. honestly, if that worked, I would be in almost instantaneously because, see, for example. I I have not had as much success with Iris Gaming. Uh, I have played some games, but uh, then there's like a new Formula One racing game that's come out. Triple A yeah. racing game. And uh, it's punishing even on the highest end NVIDIA GPU. It's it's punishing. And so there's those edge cases from time to time where you, you, you feel limited by the Intel graphics. But there's such edge cases that if I could plug in an external GPU case and then have the capability of playing that game when I need it, but then have a quiet. I assume it's really quiet, right? Uh, yeah, it's, it's nice. all boy. Oh, boy. It's wow. silent. <sighs> yeah, see, I'm all about that. Yeah, that modular. Like, okay, boom. I, I like this nook. It's you know, it's tiny, but I've got 32 gigs of RAM in it. And it's DDR4, <laughs> and I've got 128 gig M2 SSD for the OS, nice. and one one terabyte M2 SSD for the home partition. So it has HDMI uh, DisplayPort Mini. Uh, USB-C, USB-3, um, Ethernet, and that's yep. it. Oh, and then and a couple Wi-Fi, of front USB ports. And Wi-Fi and Bluetooth right. and okay. charging USB and Thunderbolt. That's really everything you need, though. Yeah, really. Definitely. Yeah, and the, and the thing's tiny. So if, you, if you're familiar with the old form factor NUC, it's a different size. So if you think of the thinnest NUCs, right. it's like two of those side by side but a bit thinner, and it's got a nifty case. So so it goes for uh, 650 US greenbacks on Newegg. See that I'm sold on. You think that's a pretty good price? That's not bad, right? Actually, yeah, I suppose so. If it, because it comes with the uh, i7 processor, but I don't think it comes with RAM. Oh, right. Yeah, that's a, so that's a fair to, You'd have to get RAM and maybe a disk, but uh, I actually, if, if the performance is there, I think it's worth it to have, I'm, these days, especially in here, I'm, I'm like that silent. machine right there, I would, love to have it, I would love to have it be silent. So interesting, Wimpy. I, I, want, I will, uh, oh, look at that. I will say I'm, I'm pretty tempted by one of these. Maybe not, maybe not at the moment because I just don't really need one, but down the road. Down the road, yeah. Yeah. I hope they keep making these. Skull yeah. Canyon. Yeah, it's a nice device. I'm very impressed. And if the external GPU worked, it would also make a, a pretty good... Yeah. And, and the only thing about the external GPU, of course, is that you're looking at like 5 gigabits per second over the Thunderbolt interface. So when you compare that to PCI Express, it's a lot slower. So it's no good hooking up a supremely powerful yeah. uh, GPU because yeah. it won't be able to saturate the bus. Right. So there's I, I need to do some sums there to figure out what right. GPU can... Is sensible. The, the, uh, the chat room points out too that it's a mobile i7, uh, mm. but uh, really, by the time Skylake, Skylake, I, and 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 really even even past generation processors, the mobile processor is just incredible. Uh, I do I do notice you know on the couple of desktops that we built for Linux Fest, there are their desktop machines that we're using for different functions that have six core processors. That's the new sweet spot. Six cores, six cores. is so the sweet spot now. 
I love it. <clears throat> so I'm ready for mobile processors to get that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so uh, the uh, the Intel Nux Skull Canyon. I was thinking that was a good one. Have you tried any Thunderbolt device, Wimpy? Not yet, no. Um, I haven't got any Thunderbolt devices to plug into it, and I thought I'd wait for the 4.7 kernel to get uh, shipped stable before mm. I start experimenting with that, because I believe that's the version that's going to have all of the new Thunderbolt source in it. Ooh. Oh, Ooh. man. So uh, I'm going to turn off a couple of filters here on my mic just for a second. Um, so you guys can hear, I don't know if you can hear, but it probably sounds like, probably sounds like rushing air. Do you hear that? Can you hear yeah. that in the background? Mm-hmm. It is storming like crazy outside right now. And I have some filters on my, here, I just tried to cut some of it out with my mic. But uh, it is, it is, and uh, if it's following, if it's following uh, what I believe to be the case. Uh, what's that for? Is it Forecastio? What is that website? Uh, where the like, uh, what's that website that uh, like Dark Cloud uh, pulled? Yeah, Forecastio. Yeah, that's right. uh, So if I go look at uh, our current location, I think uh, I think we are about to have like a huge thunderstorm <laughs> hit. Well, let's so hope we it, keep power, everyone. Yeah, <laughs> it could be uh, the show could be getting disrupted here in a moment because I, you know, I feel like these days, honestly, I feel like I live in a freaking rainforest. I don't know what's up. I don't anymore. I just feel like I feel like I live where it's constantly storming and rainforest. So, anyways, if you hear loud banging in the background, or if we suddenly go away on the live stream, uh, it's because the storming is picking up. It is the great flood. Yeah, it's it's raining like crazy. Can you see out oh, the yeah, window? Can absolutely. you see out there right now? It's 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 r- ridiculous. Um, all right, so we're gonna move on. I want to talk about uh, well a couple of things that came out of Apple's WWDC keynote that are worth mentioning for the open source community. Um, I always feel weird about this after it happens because WWDC comes around and then it's like this big awkward time for us Linux users. Exactly. Very well said. I feel the same way. Because sometimes some cool stuff is announced. You're like, oh, but you I- don't want to feel that excited about it, but you're kind of interested and you're still a So then sometimes you're like motivated to like, yeah, like bash it because you want to like distance yourself from it. Right. Um, and uh, so. Is that why you've been Googling ButterFS so much, Chris? <laughs> Exactly. Uh, so there's just a couple of things I wanted to mention that, well, one is a feature that was announced at WWDC that we can already do on Linux. I'll tell you about that. And the other, I bet you can guess what this one is, is a uh, solid response to uh, to a rather infamous rant of mine. But first, I'm going to tell you about our friends over at DigitalOcean. Boy, speaking of uh, storage, DigitalOcean has uh, their block storage uh, beta rolling out. Noah got in on it. Oh, did he? Yeah, I'm not in on it. But I'm Noah, not yet either. Oh, uh, you got to tell me when you get in. So DigitalOcean is a really easy, straightforward cl- cloud hosting provider. You want to go spin up a Linux rig that's a bare-bones Linux rig or one that's got the entire application stack for whatever you might need. It's like, Say you want to go experiment with NextCloud or say you want to try something like SyncThing or BitTorrent Sync. That's a great idea. Yeah, it's perfect for that because you can – at the price point starting at $5 a month, the, the price is – Easy to swallow, so you could just experiment and test. But then if you want to go into production, well, these systems are all backed by SSDs. They have data centers all over the world. They have tier one bandwidth. They have 40 gigabit E connectors into the hypervisor. You know, like the, like the NUX, or the NUX, the NICs, <laughs> the NUX. Not the same thing. Network interface cards. 40 gigabit E network interface cards. I love that. For five dollars a month, you can get five hundred twelve megabytes of RAM, a twenty gigabyte SSD, one CPU, and a terabyte of transfer. And then they have the best interface to manage it. On top of that, a really slick, easy to use UI that's simple for beginners, but powerful enough for actual experts. 
That's like one of those like uh, unicorns that never actually seems to happen. Digital. Whoa! Lightning strike. Lightning. Digital ocean. There, there we go. Yeah, Digital Ocean nailed it. And you see, that's the cloud right there, responding to how awesome Digital Ocean is. They that's really the are awesome. The power of the Digital Ocean cloud. Just promise me something. Come here, close. You got to do me a solid, okay? You got to use that promo code DO Unplugged. That way, I can pay for that lightning strike hole in the ceiling. DO Unplugged. One word, lowercase. Ten dollar credit. You got that? Thank you. That's all I ask for. Chris needs you, folks. DigitalOcean.com. Use the promo code DO Unplugged. And a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Unplugged program. <laughs> that was funny, man, because I saw that lightning strike out of the corner of my eye because uh, it's just right out the window there. Uh, so anyways, by the way, one other thing about DigitalOcean, uh, for those of you that are kernel Linux crazy, they do have a uh, how to provision and manage Docker with CentOS. What? It's possible. It's possible over DigitalOcean. But yeah. why? Go check it out. All right, so I teased it just really quickly. Did you guys, did you guys, anybody in the mumble room have a guess on what the news out of WWDC is that I actually am kind of happy about? Anybody have a guess? Mumble room. New file format system? Yeah, you got it. The new APFS, uh, Apple's new file system, copy on write metadata, native file encryption, instant cloning, snapshots. Don't call it ZFS. It's not ZFS. Don't call it ButterFS. Although, you know what? It's probably very closely more. It's probably more like ButterFS and ZFS. Um, Are you saying that it's not going to run well? But um, bump. Oh, a um. couple of interesting things about this. Uh, it is. They say. I don't know exactly what this means, but uh, they say it is a 64-bit uh, in-node numbering support system. It has been designed specifically for. SSDs no and way. flash storage, not for spinning disks. That's the part I don't quite know what they mean, other than perhaps perhaps this is a file system that presumes it will not be using the SATA interface to, to talk to oh, it. Oh, wouldn't that be interesting? Yeah, perhaps it'll use it'll just talk directly to the memory chips. That's a possibility. Um, it also will not be available for a while, so it's not like it's rolling out anytime soon. But here's the interesting tidbit for the open source community. I normally wouldn't have actually even worth – I wouldn't have mentioned this in the past. But since they actually delivered on Swift, in their documentation right now, they say, just like they kind of promised in the past for other things, a developer preview of Apple's file system is included on an OS 10 or now, we, now it's supposed to call it Mac OS 10.12. Yeah, come on, Chris. Uh, it's their own documentation, Wes. Apple plans to document and publish APFS volume format – when the Apple file system is released in 27. Now, they say an open source implementation is not available at this time, but when they publish it in 2017, they plan to open they plan to open source it. Oh, neat. Now, the question is, will it be as something that already works with Linux? Does it be immediately useful or something that just works on macOS X and does pretty much useless? Yeah, well, our best probably the best case scenario will be you'll eventually be able to uh, load APFS support like you can load HFS or NTFS support, right? Because you know they're not going to GPL it. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, the best it'll be is a fuse module. Yeah, exactly. And that, I guess, will at least make compatibility a little easier for us Linux users that have to interact with Mac users that somehow mistakenly formatted like a thumb drive or something mm-hmm. with this. If I you- mean, they can't GPL it. It will pretty much make them make GPL the whole kernel. Yeah, so you know that's not going to happen. But the fact that they are going to open source it's at least notable, um, and I believe they'll well, actually do it. You, what? You don't think so? What? 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 
Um, they said when they first announced FaceTime that they were going to okay. open source oh, all of that, true, true, and they true. never did because Obvious they got slapped memory. with a lawsuit. Right, and so there is entirely possible that someone will slap them with a patent claim and say that we own some part of that file system. You can't open source it, and then that shuts that down. So they've said that. they've made all this big pronouncement, but they don't actually technically have to do it if someone else comes along and tells them not to. I That's bet yeah. the case with this though is they've been working on this for quite a few years. I'm betting that they have been owning a lot of the IP of this as they did as they've gone along, because their intention is for this to run from everything from the watch to the desktop and everything in between. So they're they're probably crossing their eyes and or <laughs> dotting their uh, dotting the eyes and crossing the T's. No, you had it right first time. Probably probably yep. did. I, I find it interesting. Think different, Chris. They talk about uh, doing atomic uh, uh, atomic file transactions. They talk about snapshots and rollbacks. These are all things I like. Um, trim support. So anyways. I wonder how long till they think it's production ready, quote God. unquote. You can't, well, I mean, you can't, can't, we can't get much worse than HFS, so they don't have a, that's there's a not a fair, high bar. That's a fair point. Oh, yeah. Gosh. Is there any indication how long this has been incubating for? I don't know. I, I think some people speculate, so I've been, I've, the number I've heard kicked around is seven years. Wow. No, it has to be less just because I've been actually monitoring their, uh, hiring. Um, job boards, and they've been last three years hiring extensively kernel developers, which I'm assuming that some of them will be for file system stuff. So it's three yeah. years tops that I will claim. Yeah. I guess we might know if they open source it, because in the case of Swift, when they open source Swift, they include the entire commit log. So we might know. Yeah, that's that's, okay, that's That'd be interesting, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, here comes more thunder. So the other the other feature I live streamed the keynote because I figure a lot of a lot of people uh, that listen to Jupiter Broadcasting don't have Macs they have Linux rigs mm-hmm. and the only official stream from Apple it requires that you use Safari. Oh really? Yeah, so oh, so man. lame. But always somebody posts like an alternative RTMP mm-hmm. stream somewhere. So what I do is I always try to rebroadcast that so that way people can just go to the JB Live page on whatever device they want because we, we're available on the TV, we're available on their mobile, we're available on their web. So we f- I figured just make it easy for our audience that would just want to watch it. Totally. And uh, so what, you know, I and we do commentary along with the chat room and stuff. And one of the things that everybody in the chat room seemed to universally love was this new uh, picture-in-picture feature of uh, Mac OS X or whatever, Mac OS Sierra, did you see this where any HTML5 video could be popped out and then you could drag it and it could stay persistent on top of all applications across all desktops? And fear not, that feature is already available in Linux via MPV. Nice. Mr. Inogogo made a link in the Linux Action Show subreddit where he just gives you the command that you do in MPV and it can pop up into a little picture-in-picture window like that and you can move it around. He even shows how you can do it on Windows if you were... Nice. So in I was going to say, I mean, like, the, one of the things we've got, I mean, window managers, man, we should be able to get that down. I know, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that was like the one feature. I was like, hmm, that's okay. It's okay. Yeah, this one's cooler, though, the MPV. You don't need to use the window manager to do it. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess other than that, I mean, was, the, was there any other features that you heard about? And anybody in the mumble room, feel free to chime in, too, that you're like, oh, as a Linux user, I kind of I kind of would like I to feel- have that. Yeah, I feel that the they should totally, you know, since we still are dealing with X, maybe show us what they're using. That will be cool. Actually useful, maybe. I don't know. Hmm. Yeah, I, I didn't I didn't really I don't want to go I just want to make a comment. Uh I think the situation for Mac hardware right now is pretty poor. It really is. And I think there's an opportunity here for Linux because 
a lot of pe- a lot of the things that drive people to uh, originally that drove people to macOS was um, a nice graphical interface with a strong Unix underpinning, which is a lot like elementary OS, for example, or something like that. That we're or Ubuntu desktop mm-hmm. we're about to talk about that. People are now aware of these alternatives, and it, it allows you to buy from any hardware vendor you want. And the problem is, a lot of cases, Apple has sets a pretty high bar for hardware quality, but it's not an impossible bar to surpass. And other, more and more manufacturers are doing so or getting close. And the problem is, is if legitimately, you look at some of Apple's high-end hardware right now, like just, just as a thought experiment, uh, let's say you uh, decided you needed to uh, get yourself a very high-end workstation from Apple. Well, the, first of all, the first thing you'll notice when you go to buy from Apple is the only thing they're really advertising is their iOS devices. I mean, it's a, it's a little discouraging. You can't really... Oh, people still buy yeah. desktop computers? Yeah. So, so if we go look at the Mac, for example, and say we want to get the Mac Pro because we want something that has more than uh, four cores. So I want something that has more than four cores, uh, maybe because I have a large encoding workflow or there's all kinds of situations where you need a lot of CPU. Mm-hmm. So if you want to get the Mac Pro right now, you are legitimately forced to use hardware that came out like three years ago. And the starting price is two thousand or is three thousand dollars. Oh man! And 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 that's with not a very competitive system. This system is significantly less competitive than the computer I am showing it on right now. I mean, legitimately, like so, if I wanted to go, that's just this is just a. I am displaying this on a quad core, or I'm sorry, a six core Skylake system, and this is three generations old quad core, starting at three thousand dollars. Now, what's what's even more egregious is besides the 12 gigs of RAM and the only 256 me- uh, gigabytes of storage, what's the, actually the most egregious thing on this page is the AMD Fire Pro D300 GPU with two gigs of RAM. It is an ancient, ancient graphics card. And to upgrade, the best thing you can get is Fire D700s which are like four generation old GPUs. They were legitimately a generation old when this Mac Pro shipped. And the best you can get is a four generation old graphics card, two of them for $1,000. That's crazy. You'd think there'd be a lot of professionals that want to do, especially with like, you know, like machine learning, et cetera. It's like there's so many stuff where you would we really do want like a nice GPU for professional work. So I will claim that this is actually part of the smart move from Apple. As a developer, what has screwed up Windows developers has been that they're constantly shifting. You don't have a stable platform. People choose Ubuntu because they have the LTS and they can be sure that they target that. The fact that Apple doesn't go crazy on adapting new things so fast allows for someone to master and craft for that platform and then sell on that platform, which means profitability. Well, I would argue... At the end of the day, I would argue that uh, I would argue that Windows XP and Windows Seven are, are pretty reliable targets as far as developer uh, platforms to target. But also, I think your argument would be probably easier to swallow if they reduce the price over time. They're still charging the original price that they when they launched that thing years ago. My, see, and I think the core point here is that, that your scenario may be okay for some developers, but I think there's a group of people out there, even people who have enough money, who look at that and general- say that is that is just unfair to the customer and i in general, i think sorry. i okay go ahead sorry i'm so sorry but it's in good. general their platform does pay more 
and you develop for Windows, the money you make, you develop for Android, the money you make and you develop for iOS, the money you make and you do your math. I, I think perhaps people like Leo Laporte are a harbinger of exactly what I'm talking about. People who can afford to spend more, but look at the commitment that Apple has to the Mac platform and go, Apple is way more committed to the iOS platform and now to their new services division and potentially to even building a car and they're not committed to their art, to their desktop and and a hardware platform anymore as they have been in the past and so i can see very i can see very easily how people like leo laporte would look at that and go well i don't want something from the microsoft camp because i don't like what they're doing with windows and i don't like what apple is doing with their hardware so i'm just going to go to go with linux i'll find a desktop eventually that works for me and it has to be a, it has to be a certain enthusiast is willing to do this but i'll find a desktop environment that works for me and i'll find a piece of hardware that works for me and i will now just manage that marriage of hardware and software and not outsource it to apple like i have in the past and i think that's exactly what's happening right now i just think it's a slow trickle that's going to speed up mm-hmm. especially as they continue to ignore their hardware they just did their only one big event a year one that is for developers and they didn't release a single piece of hardware for, de- for developers to use to develop for their platform. They all developers are now forced to buy hardware that has years-old components in it. It's a pretty bad state. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know it has a cool Apple Glowy logo on it, but at a certain point, that brand, that brand attachment only goes so far, and the practical person in you goes, wow, I can go get a ThinkPad or a, or a Sputnik or a System76 or Right, that's where the System76 really starts looking attractive. Yeah. Um, or similar the offerings. The devices that the people are targeting are also inferior devices anyway. Aren't they? That's kind of what the point is. It's like if I'm targeting an inferior device and I can't test it or run it in the developer machine I have right now, probably something's very wrong then. I can target those devices that are, they're building right now, the phones and the TVs and whatever the car system is, they're all going to be inferior and that's where the, the clients are. So if me as a developer, I'm buying a Mac as a developer, I don't need the super fancy thing. I need access to the platform. I need yeah. better software tools, which is the services that are, they are improving. I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, I So did you guys hear about this rumor that uh, Samsung is going to completely dump Android? Did you see this? Yeah. I'm... How could this be? Uh, but apparently um, this is from uh, FossBytes.com. So... I don't know. I don't know where they got their source. But they claim that the uh, plan is... Oh, from the Korea Times. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There you go. Thank you. From the Korea Times. Uh, they say that they did a launch in India. They sold lots of devices, millions of devices. The The devices are being very competitive, they've said. Mm. And they have, they've had a low return rate. Customers are happy with the Tizen-based phones. And according to this, they seem to think it's a great opportunity... To go from their watches to the phones to their refrigerators to their television ties in all the things. They say they've had 64 million phones sold there running ties in and that it is proving to be very competitive. That's a lot of phones. I mean, not global, not to the whole phone market, but just as a unit. That's interesting. I wonder how well they really do work. I you mean, think this is legit, Popey? Yep. I called it. I keep, I've been saying this for a very long time that the, what Samsung are doing with their S apps is building a community, uh, and a familiarity with their applications and their app ecosystem and locking people into their app ecosystem, um, rather than 
uh, the Android ecosystem. But doesn't normal that, people, isn't normal that, people know two things. They know Apple phones and Samsung phones. Normals yes, don't know about all the others. And when you're on a Samsung phone, you have all these Samsung things. And my, I, my theory has been for some time that Samsung will just swap out the underneath and they'll real rebuild all their S apps for Tizen and the user won't care because they'll still be locked into all the same S apps that they had on Android, but on Tizen. We can and stop complaining look, about TouchWiz. And if you look at Tizen phone, it looks a lot like TouchWiz on Android. But hasn't the S apps been universally rejected by users? Don't people hate the S apps? Um, I don't know. I mean, the, the, the places where these people who apparently have bought millions of Tizen phones don't really have the option of all the G apps. So and what, what's the size of the people that hate them versus the size of people who just use them because they're there? I don't even know. I don't oh, yeah, right. data. Yeah. Default no, is yeah. yeah, default is However, game. what I would say is I subscribe to a monthly mail that I get about the top 20 apps in the Tizen store. Oh. And I, I, I get this email every month. I signed up to be a developer on the Tizen store <laughs> just so I can get this email. And it tells me which are the, the apps. And I've been looking at this for a year and it's the same 10 or 20 apps in the store for like the last year every so often a new one will come in a new game or a new media player app or something but it's basically the same 20 apps so i don't i don't think they have a massive developer community and i wouldn't be surprised if they're using the android runtime to leverage android applications that's what i was thinking so the number one app in there is whatsapp and i'm pretty certain that's an android app and not actually yeah. a native Tizen. yeah that was that's the response to the chat room too that uh, they of course they could uh, if they run if they can run android apps uh do you think they could even do the Play Store API? Is that possible? It's possible. Well, how can you okay. run how can you run Play Store API on another OS? The Play Store is Java. Tizen is JavaScript and HTML. But everything all uses the Linux kernel all in the base anyway. Android is pretty much Linux plus Java. Tizen is Linux plus JavaScript. Okay. So they can just shove the Android, or at least their Java runtime so, in. I see how it'll be working. How do you? How does this count the display server either? Okay, Tizen can use Wayland, just like so the, display, the the Surface Flinger, the display server for Android. Yeah, well, I guess they can. Well, I wouldn't want to use it. I would more want to use go the Sailfish way and do Wayland on the mobile platform anyway. So, uh, heavens, there is there was a report uh, just like a few days ago. Just came out said. Uh, mobile users are not really installing apps anymore. They get five, six, seven apps that they use on a daily basis or frequently, and then they pretty much they might install something, but they never use it. Do you think that factors into how Tizen could perhaps blow up larger than Android? Because you say you think it could go bigger than Android. Mainly because of the developer base or the developers for JavaScript versus the enterprise Java who have just migrated over to Android as a you know benefit. But yeah. Yeah, I guess they could get even bigger because one, JavaScript applications are all instant apps versus Android's new Android M's or what ends mm-hmm. instant app new feature. Huh. Hmm. Well, I I think it's anyway. Come on, Google's been pouring millions of dollars into JavaScript execution, I better it's... than Java can ever be, and you know lawsuit crap going on. I think we look at it. Uh, t- from too much of a technical possibility standpoint, I-, I think, I think maybe outside the U.S. this could happen, but I just don't ever see this happening. To uh, to uh, as long as they are trying to, as long as Samsung in the U.S. is trying to go against the iPhone, I don't see it happening. 
Chris, can I just point out how many billions of people live outside the U.S.? Right. No, I can see this totally yeah. taking – that's exactly my point is maybe in terms of scale, essentially they will have done this percentage-wise just by doing this outside the U.S. Right. But I don't think inside the U.S. or any market, I should say, where they're commercially going after iOS devices. It just doesn't seem like that's going to be happening. That you can switch to a, a new platform and be competitive? Yeah, I, I don't know. It just doesn't seem like target the TV and Samsung TVs are bit more than the uh, iOS or whatever other TV. Well, that's a very compelling argument that nobody really has right now. Sure, target the TV, target the phones, target the cars, target the watches, and see where it takes. And they have their Chromebooks too. So if they, you know, it's a step there. That'd be interesting. That would be interesting. Maybe soon we'll be running a Tizen desktop fork thing right All here right. on the show. All right. All right. I'll, I'll get into that. I would love to – like even if I had to import it, I'd love to get that. Right, yeah. It's funny because it, I say that I don't think Samsung will ever do this in the U.S. Personally, I'd love it if they do it. It'd be fun to try. Yeah. I would love it. Like from an enthusiast standpoint, I'd be like, yes, please. Uh, I, a large-scale manufacturer who can build high-quality products relatively uh, and, and ship them when at they scale want. where I can actually go into a store and buy them. Yeah, that would be great. But uh, I don't know. I just linked uh, uh, in IRC the Intel demonstrating Tizen on an Intel i7 yeah, Ultrabook yeah, yeah. in 2013. All right, Hawkins, would you like to have the uh, last word on this one? I just want to say that uh, with Samsung, uh, if we think back about the Nokia Symbian operating system, which uh, Samsung also had access to, mm-hmm. uh, they didn't do any development mm-hmm. when they did have access to the Symbian operating system. It's true. Yeah, maybe they're going to compete with Google in like the ad space and make advertising. <laughs> Ooh, but um, bump. And on that note, why don't we let's uh, move on? Let's talk about Ting. Let's talk about Ting. You know, whenever you get your device, be it a Tizen device, an Android device, an iOS device, a feature phone, or even a BlackBerry. Heck, I don't care. Just all here's Ting is Honey Badger about this. It's real simple. They got CDMA and GSM, and you pay for what you use. So you get a SIM card, you put it in your device, and you pay for what you use. It's six dollars for the line. You want to have ten lines? It's six dollars. You want to have one line? It's six dollars. You just pay for your usage. There's no contract. It's really this. Simple. Simple. I can't even believe I, even after all this time, I can't really believe it's that simple. Hopefully, hopefully you do, and you're willing to try it because it really is a game changer. I save over two thousand dollars a year by going to Ting. Average Ting monthly bill per line twenty three bucks. That's for your smartphone. You know they just take your minutes, your messages, and your megabytes, add them up, and that's what you pay. You got CDMA and GSM to choose from, and uh, you can either buy a device from Ting directly, which is unlocked and you own it, There's no contract, or you can bring a device. And they'll give you a Ting credit if you go to linux.ting.com. Linux.ting.com will also take money off your first device. They have great customer service. You speak to real human beings. They have a super nice dashboard that gives you features you never thought a mobile carrier would give you right in the web page. I love that. Same with the Android app too. I don't use the Android app as much or there's also an iOS app. But that web page, I, I just love it. I love it. And I love the – I just I – Everything re- you need to do is right there. Just as an example, we have a couple of extra lines that we turn on every now and then just when we have people in town. And we can disable them. The process is very straightforward. I love it. And the fact that we have CDMA and GSM means that when we're up north at Linux Fest Northwest, we use the CDMA network. And when we're down here in, at, uh, in Arlington, we use the GSM network. And we get amazing service in both and locations. And you get to choose. I love it. 
Try going there right now. Check them out, linux.ting.com. $6 per line. That's nuts. You can also call them at one eight five five ting ftw Talk to a real human being. It is mobile that makes sense. Linux.ting.com. And up on their blog right now, they have uh, an article, article about using Ting for gamers, which is really cool. So uh, we're going we're gonna to talk about Snap Packages. We've got to talk about Snap Packages. But first, before we get into the Snap Package discussion, which this is huge news today, um, there's also a little bit of news this week. It's just something I wanted to touch on before we, uh, before we run away with the rest of the show. Uh, and that's the new Loki beta that's out. The elementary OS folks put out a, uh, a beta of Loki. It's totes early stuff here. It is not meant for your daily driver. Nope. You shouldn't use it if you are expecting a stable, reliable desktop. It's really to give them feedback. That's what this is about. Um, but it's something that's kind of interesting because it's, it's sort of a closely watched distribution because it doesn't do traditional betas and development in the sort of daily release tradition that a lot of distributions do. Like, like when there's a new version of Ubuntu itself coming out, at any point in the development cycle, you could go get the latest ISO. Or you could go jump in Fedora Rawhide at any point or Debian Unstable, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera right. blah, 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 blah. But that's not, that's not how elementary OS does it. So when they actually put a flag down on the ground and say, okay, the beta's out. You can go try it. We had to give it a look. Uh, and so besides it reiterating that beta means beta, uh, they say that they've shipped a new set of toys for developers. They've in- upgraded the notifications, better notifications, no unsafe software sources. But also there's a few things like, uh, like a new app center. Mm-hmm. Or whatever they call it in there, stuff like that. Tell me about it, Wes. What, what do you think? What are your first impressions? You've been running it this morning. Yes, I have. I'm doing it right here, uh, doing all my show prep, etc. on it. Um, so far, mostly good. I mean, there's like some small things you can tell that you know they're still they're still working stuff out. Like you know, there's no default associated thing with .deb files anymore. So if, if you want to install those, you can't double click. You need to go into the terminal, etc. Yeah, you okay. can change that if you want to. Uh, but I will say it installed easily, very quick. Um, it really didn't break anything. It installed nicely on the like three other operating systems I have here. Loads really fast. It has a very smooth like graphical. Not a lot of like you don't you don't see the the frame buffer terminal or anything like that. You know it really goes like right to the desktop. Loads up, and in t- typical elementary style, the animations are smooth. You know they're not might not be a lot there. And I admit for my own tastes, elementary is just enough different from GNOME that it's like the the commands are different and the shortcuts are different, right? Yeah. Like the layout, but it's similar. Yeah. Uh, but it's really nice. And, like, you know, just all the little things, you can tell it's polished. You can tell, like, every feature that they've put in, they really want to be nice and to be complete. So do you, when you're using it, do you have the sense that it is indeed a um, Ubuntu family member or does it feel like its own beast? And so what I'm asking you is, do you sort of have the, do you sort of have the background confidence knowing that you're using a desktop that's part of a larger ecosystem? Or does it feel like it's sort of off on its own island? On the surface, it's, I mean, it doesn't, there's not, you know, there's not a lot of clues here. Um, here I am looking at the, you know, the app center and it's kind of just, it's very minimally, very minimally branded. It's just hmm. kind of, yeah. yeah, but, but I, as a, as more of a power user, I do appreciate that I can just open a terminal. AppGet is right there. Let me see that. I'm familiar with everything. So uh, this here is the, uh, they call it the app center. Mm-hmm. We don't have a visual of it because Wes's machine isn't hooked up to the uh, capture. We'll but, work on that. So this is, uh, this is their own custom app. That uh, some or is it or is it, or is it based on is it based on GNOME software? <clears throat> I'm not sure. It might be. Actually, we should look into that. I think it's actually based on GNOME software. It does look similar. It. Yeah. Yeah, but it looks like it has much nicer categories, uh, broader. Uh, yeah. 
So that's a new feature yeah. for sure. They have the App Hub as well. What is the App Hub, Rotten? Uh, it's a new thing that they're going to do, which is like the App Center is going to be like the store that you get. The App Hub is where everything is going to be um, provided from in, in like a, a third-party store type thing so that they you push to the App Hub. The App Hub pushes packages to the App Center that people can install. I see. Hmm. Wes, try going into the settings or switchboard or whatever they call it there and check out the new uh, sharing uh, uh, settings in there. I guess there's a couple other things. There's new online account plugins, uh, printer support replacing the old one, and uh, there's also new mouse. Oh, yeah. Here we go. Yeah. So what do you see when you go into sharing? Uh, the first thing is media libraries. You can uh, just choose to share you know, cool. music, videos, pictures. They're all turned on by default. That's Oh, cool. All right. Oh, no. The whole thing is disabled. If you enable it, all of those are ah, turned on by default. Okay. Uh, have you checked out – have you gotten any new notifications? I guess a new notification indicator was added to the panel. You know, I have seen a few like – and um, waiting for some some processes I'd run with sudo to complete. That. It would just guy pop guy. up a little like, oh, hey, your process is done. That's nice, isn't it? Yes, it's really – it feels very slick. Uh, yeah, I like how Fedora does that too. For I just, do. But just for the terminal. So where does their, where is their uh, notification tray thingy at? They say it goes up in the – oh, okay, yeah. Oh, yeah, it's this little bell right here, and it has a nice do not disturb toggle. Have you seen mm-hmm. that? Yeah, I, 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 that seems like it'll be very useful. It's really clean looking. It's it's nice. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like, you know, I as someone who does like to tinker and I run Arch, et cetera, et cetera, I can see where there, some of these things might bug me or I might be like, oh, I really wish I had that feature or I could do it. But if you just are using the computer or like especially kind of this laptop, I use it for show stuff, but yeah. it's not my daily driver, so I don't do a lot of my main project work, right. development, anything on it. So right. someone, if I just want to browse the web and have a laptop that connects to Wi-Fi and suspends and comes back every time. It seems like it might not be a bad fit. Yeah. Hmm. Anybody else have thoughts about uh, elementary OS and the mumble room before we uh, move along? I'm, I'll probably... Yeah, tr- I think yeah, go ahead. there needs to be some... Uh, just one quick note. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're wanting to use uh, PPAs, you need to install the app, ad app repository. Yes, tool, you do. Because by That's default, they disabled it. So are, there are some considerations like that for like power users that may be more inconvenient than... That seems like a pretty clear message there, that it's not for power users. Yeah. Hmm. And that's okay, too. I really, that's fine. I mean, it's not really – not every distribution out there is – it needs to be for me. No, right. Absolutely. Like, I may not use it, but it might be something I could recommend for my mom to use. No problem. Yeah. Or, you know, my son uh, is running yeah. the last release of Elementary OS, and he's been running it for over a year, just totally solid. And there's sometimes where, like, you need that, you know – you might not like their aesthetic, but they do have an aesthetic. And yeah. there's some users, especially, you know, people who maybe are more designers or artists or like who have, have an expectation from other operating systems that it, it is clean or it is simple or it is just pretty in some way. And elementary might fit there too. Mm-hmm. I think when you look at, when you look at elements of it, I look at that and go, uh, if I, if I use my computers differently, I would, I could see myself really being a good elementary OS user candidate because I do like the consistent visual um, language that's just everywhere through the whole thing. Mm-hmm. I I like that they take care of certain things like the sharing stuff there, like the notification stuff there, the thought that goes into it, the, f- the very consistent from from the moment it powers up to the to the to, to the desktop is very consistent feeling. That is all uh, indicative of a lot of intention. Exactly, and that intention I re- as I respect a lot. Yeah. And so when I'm using something and it. It delights me in a way that I go, oh wow, somebody really thought about that, and I and I and I have just a brief moment of insight into they must have really agonized over this choice, and I think to myself, I am so appreciative that they did yeah. that. I do enjoy using systems that make me feel that way, exactly. uh, and that's one of the reasons I like using GNOME because I often feel like there's things in GNOME three that do that for me. Um, so there is a part of me that wishes I could be the perfect user for this, but then of course the software availability would would kill me right. just. 
kill me because I would want PPAs and I would want to add stuff all the time and I all that. Nope. And I mean, you can't. Right. I mean, one you know, one install. I feel like though that I'm obviously going against some of those intentions. Right. Those I mean, are you going to break very, some things, or are you going to have to? Yeah, yeah you're. Those you're very intentions I claim to uh, to uh, think were great would seem to be in violation. However, however, that all could be changing. Right. There are new things on the horizon. There are things afoot. Like we mentioned in the intro, there is a apparently a Linux packaging cold war. Uh, that uh, we have been on the front Where lines. Where do you stand? Front. Where do you stand in the war? Uh, are we being are we being cray cray? Are we uh, overstating it, or uh, is there actually really some interesting developments? All of those things are true. <laughs> uh, by the uh. way, links to the Loki beta. If you guys want to grab it and let us know what you think. Um, have we had a couple of dropouts? Oh, okay. Yeah, sorry guys. The storm is uh, are uh, picking up. Sorry about that. Can you hear us? Okay, Wimpy. Is it all right? I can, but Good. I remember that you lost a load of stuff yeah. once. Yeah, yeah we have Ooh, uh, yeah. we have a backup recording going. Uh huh. I tell okay. you what, I tell you what, this new OBS rig has worked out unbelievably well. I was just talking on the live stream, like um, it runs twenty four seven and never crashes. It just runs, runs, runs. It, and Wirecast could not live up to that. It it, it has shown itself to live up. To a, to a workload that Wirecast could never sustain. That's awesome. Wirecast is really, to use it fully, is a $1,000 product that's been around for a lot of years. And OBS is, a, in terms of, you know, uh, uh, life cycle, it's, it's still, they rebuilt it not too long ago. It's still kind of new. Right. And yet when they seem to do releases, they're, at least the versions we've installed so far have been extremely reliable. Maybe not, they don't have necessarily all the whiz-bang features I need at this moment. Right. But the fact that that thing... I mean, I, I don't even. It's probably been it's probably been it. twenty days that it's ran solid. Uh, it's really something. And we had some issues on Sunday, and it it wasn't that machine. It was it was Comcast. And when we do have problems, it tends to be Comcast. Mm-hmm. Go figure. Open source for the win. Exactly. Yeah. It's really amazing. It really is amazing, uh, and it helps that. Uh, what a cool project. Yeah, it, it helps too that uh, it uh, is available on. The Linux, a rock machines. solid operating system. Yep, because Linux is also very solid. So I think so a, stall, a solid piece of software running on top of a solid operating system is just a really great combo. So uh, and thank you, really, you know, really uh, the credit there for that system being as good as as good as it is goes really to uh, Rikai and Noah who stayed up all hours of the night, several nights in a row, making right, it work. And failed components, yeah, and googling like oh crazy, God. and yeah. So really, the credit goes to the beard and to to Brown Bear, but. We shall move on to Canonical's big announcement, which may solve my software availability complaints for elementary OS. But first, let's mention Linux Academy. In fact, go to linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. All of you right now, go there. Do it. Test the link because we had a bit of an outage the other night. Oh, no. Yeah, so help me test it. LinuxAcademy.com slash unplugged and dig around on their website. They have 2,471 self-paced courses where you can obtain experience and learn as you go with scenario-based labs that put you in the middle of everyday common tasks, instructor mentoring when you need help, and graded server exercises that automatically grades your actions so you can see how well you did, which is really nice. Really, really nice, especially for those of us that don't test well. They, of course, were on Python and, of course, Linux and all the technology around Linux and Android and that DevOps category. OpenStack, yep, yep, that's a thing. Python, AWS. Ruby, oh, AWS, for show. Sure. You know, they've also recently added something they're calling social cards, which... Oh, what is this? Tell me more. I've, I don't know. My, my first thought was like, what? Some cards? What? No, they're like, you know, no cards for, like, learning. And you can fork them and build upon them and... 
There's a reputation system wow. built in, and all of this now in Linux Academy. They have a great community of people who are all super motivated, and tons of them are Jupyter Broadcasting members that are now going to be, well, if you want at least, involved in the process of making these cards better. And they're doing a $200 Amazon gift card giveaway for like the first 10 best stacks or something. So you can get in early. What a cool community. Yeah. So get started by going to linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. It comes with your own server, seven plus distros to choose from, modifies the courseware and the server, spins it up on demand, enhanced learning plans, detailed comprehensive notes you can download and keep with you. And like I mentioned, instructor mentoring for topics that most other online learning sites would completely gloss over. LinuxAcademy.com slash unplugged. Now, I know we have talked a lot about universal software installation, and I hope the audience is not worn out. The, the sense I get is you all are sort of, the, the majority of you think, ah, I've heard this one before. I don't uh, have any sense that this is going to go anywhere. Why are we talking about this? That's kind of the general sense I've gotten back from the audience. However, I have felt for a while now that there is really some serious momentum here, more so than we've seen in the past. XDG app, now known as Flat Packs, and of course, App Image. And we've been talking a lot about Snap Packages on Ubuntu. In the abstract. Now today, today, some pretty big news came out. I kind of smelt it coming, and you might have as well. Snap Packages are launching on multiple Linux distributions. Essentially, what? the Snap is going to be available for pretty much all major distros, launching with some great partners right out of the gate, including Docker and Telegram packages, and uh, uh, I think Akarita's in there, and LibreOffice is in there, and they they have uh, packages available for uh, CentOS and Elementary and Gentoo and Mint and OpenSUSE and Red Hat Enterprise Linux and Arch Linux, and all of those distros can now install Snap packages. It's snappy time, everybody. It's Yay! Snap packages are here for everybody. Um, and I look at this and I go, brilliant move by Canonical. In fact, Mark Shuttleworth said, one thing is definitively clear about today's announcement. Or something. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. This is not about Ubuntu. This is about all the other Linux distros. Now, I thought that was an interesting thing for Mark to sort of stress. That this is not, this is like the antithesis of being about Ubuntu is what he said. Now, yeah, uh, he also pointed out the Flatpak, the new GNOME XEG app initiative is 90, 95% of the contributors came from one Red Hat employee. I love it when he does that. I love right. that. I love that. Um, he said he'd be delighted if they'd work with us. God, that's so great. That's <laughs> so good. Uh. <laughs> yeah, so uh, they've the Document Foundation's got LibreOffice. Dell, Mozilla is uh, partnering up with them, Samsung. And uh, Arch and Fedora can run and install Snap Packages. I installed it right before the show. Uh, you have installed an elementary OS. I do. I'm not sure it's 100% working, but it's installed anyway. Did you get the Telegram pad? You know, it's giving me an error when I try to launch it, but the hmm. rest is working. I got SnapD going. I can do SnapList. I can do Snap Install. Interesting. It's probably so, user error. Rotten, let's start with you, and then I'm going to bounce around some questions. Uh, you've, gotten, you've gotten your hands on it during the show. What are your initial impressions? Yeah, so I started using it earlier in the show, and uh, Snap is great. And two things are really shocking. Uh, Nextcloud came out. You know, they announced a new version today. There is now a Snap for it today. Wow. Um, and I just installed Krita, which by default, when you use apt, it installs like 500 megs of um, you know dependencies. The Snap was only 98 megs. Wow. wow. Okay. All right. Yeah, I don't know I how that happened. Okay. But that sounds very promising. 
Uh, I wanted to ask Wimpy, because uh, I know he's had some experience recently with Snap packages. Wimpy, do you think it's now just come down to a race of who can get the most packages by the biggest names? Because you've got Flatpak, AppImage, Orbit, Orbital, or whatever it is, um, and now Snaps. And it seems like whichever one, since they all work across all the distributions, whichever one ends up being the sort of go-to to have the most and best software is going to be the winner. Don't you think? Maybe, yeah. Um, definitely there's some first mover advantage there and there's been a lot of people coalescing around uh, Snaps and Snappy. Um, you know, like QNAP recently announced that their line of NAS devices are going to be moving to Ubuntu and Snaps. Yeah. That's and they're going cool. to be packaging all of their ancillary services and IoT bits and bobs as snaps rather than, you know, shipping them in the traditional way. So I think snaps might be edging it at the moment, but time will tell. Yeah, it seems also the KDE project project is experimenting with uh, packaging Neon as a snap. Wow. Which is really... That's, that's interesting. Yeah. And the, the other thing that Ubuntu have done is they've reached out to people in the other distributions to get snap working on the other distros and i'm not sure if that's happened the other way hmm. so the fact that snap works in all these different places is because uh ubuntu developers and community members have made the effort to try and make that happen to make it the cross distribution so they're they're reaching that. out to those distros yeah. and saying hey would you like to yeah. work with us on this so yeah. that's that's a huge component of it to getting more and more adoption now and not, and not just cross distribution but also you know across the flavors within ubuntu and inviting people and you know there's been a, a real effort the last two weeks it's a shame i've been on on holiday for most <laughs> of it um but uh, yeah there's been a real effort to involve people and bring them up to speed and share knowledge and tips and tricks and push the platform forwards and learn from one another. Now, what about the concern that the back end isn't open source to snaps packages? Popey, is that a, is that a thing? Is that people, is that a thing people are complaining about yet? Is that a misunderstanding? Uh, which back end? So snapd is open source. So snap, snap help the, me understand the, the registry, right? Yeah. Like this, is there like a central registry I can search for snap packages and that's locked up? There or? is a store. Uh, and we run the store, and I don't know what the license on that is. It currently isn't free software. But that I don't doesn't, know what will happen but with the, that. But who runs the store doesn't impact who can download a snap and just install it on their system. That's right. That's The two things are not so dependent. I uh, you can certainly sideload snaps. You know, you can grab a snap from anywhere. So, for example, the, initially the Krita developers uh, put a snap as a downloadable file on their yeah. website, or like I installed just like a deb. I just right? downloaded the uh, I just downloaded the Telegram snap to my desktop. Right. So you can certainly do that. And yeah, currently the store is non-free. I don't know what the plan is for that. Okay. And I don't know I don't know what the plan is for supporting multiple different stores either. Mm-hmm. I I know that discussions have been happening there because some people will want to have um all the devices within their own estate only talking to other devices within their own estate sure, and may right. not want them to reach out of their network and and go to some third-party store and allow their users to install random you know snaps that could contain like games or you know stuff they just don't want and so i know those discussions have happened but it's early days and i don't know where that is at the moment and then we have snap d which is an open source piece of software that seems to be 
the thing that has to be specifically packaged for each distribution to make all of this work, to, to make the cross-distribution component work. So there is an Arch package. There is a Fedora package. There is an OpenSUSE package of SnapD. And that is that is the sort of bits and glue. layer. Yeah, you needed to install Snaps. Am I tracking that right, Poppy? Yeah. So there's there's kind of, there's there's multiple parts to it. The the SnapD part is yeah the bit that needed to be ported, and that's the bit that you know we already have pre-installed on Ubuntu. So you know we're mm-hmm. we're, we're halfway there. And that's um, a Go but, daemon, right? Yeah, it's written in Go. Um, and the the snaps themselves get installed and removed by SnapD, and there's a front end to SnapD which is just called Snap. So you can do commands like Snap list to list all the snaps that you have installed. And that would be the same as you using apt or dpackage mm-hmm. to see what you have installed. And then you would do something like snap find, which is where you go out to find out what packages are available in the store or in the archive or whatever you want to call it. Um, and, you know, that's the equivalent of apt I see, search. I feel, like, I feel like people are going to misinterpret that as, oh, well, snaps are trying to replace my distributions package manager. Could you already see how people, oh, look at Canonical. They think they're coming out with the package manager for all distros. It's it's not well, really – go ahead. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, what, I, what I think would be preferable is if you see it from the point of view that your distribution is giving your users the, the, the platform – your platform, which is, you know, there's the value that you provide in that, whichever that is, you know, in Arch, that's package freshness in Fedora, that's, um, clean upstream gnome. Uh, and, uh, in, um, Gentoo, it's, you know, build it the way you want it. Uh, You know, however, whatever, whatever your platform is, what we're providing is the ability for the users to get absolutely the freshest things from upstream in a, Secure manner. Yeah, I actually am. I don't. I don't know which what uh, universal package format is going to win out. But this to me, if we can even just get one. Oh, that would be that would be. Great. I really, really. I would love to have one that has a company behind it that has uh, a a reputation in the open source community. That seems like a yeah, pretty Linux, important. Linux has a history of like resolving these things and only having one of everything. That's right, right. isn't it? Yep. We only have one of everything. Very good at that. Bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we do have it. We, we well, but I could see a dominant one. <clears throat> I could see a dominant one emerging. Uh, and the 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 <clears throat> boy, excuse me, the launch across multiple distros on day one, huge, smooth, real smooth. Uh, the fact that I could just I, it was just in the AUR immediately, and I could just go grab it and install the Telegram um, snap. Uh, I, yeah, I was kind of surprised that didn't leak out that people didn't spot things appearing in various archives and people yeah. say, hello, I, well, I, look I, at this. What's this doing here? I had heard some rumbling. I had heard some rumbling. But oh, I, okay. So maybe people did. Yeah, some didn't people don't. Me and my little Ubuntu <laughs> bubble, I didn't spot that. I thought, I just, I just, I don't, I don't actually know if this is going to be it, but I, even if it's a well-supported one, the momentum you've already seen behind Snap Packages is really good. What? Oh, you like? What do you got there? What do you got there? Look at that. Are you pasting from the web? Yes, I am. Okay, so read that error message on your screen. So I'm pasting into the into the terminal from the web. Copying commands into the terminal can be dangerous. Be sure you understand what each part of this command does, and then in big red button, paste anyway, which yeah. I am about to hit. Look at Loki warning you about the dangers yeah, of pasting nice. commands from the web, which is ironic because a couple of, like LibreOffice was the one. Uh, Ham Radio was telling me he was downloading LibreOffice uh, using a snap package, and the post just tells you to use wget and has the right. app git install command and all this. Like, just copy and paste this into your terminal and you'll be good to you'll go. You'll be fine. Yeah, that's not a good idea. 
the um, the warning about using copying pasting things in the terminal was actually in the last version too. I wondered about that. I think yeah, that, yeah. That's, that's but still it's still nice to see. Uh, I think that's a pretty huge development getting snap packages for all distros. I don't know where it's going to go for sure, but. To me, I have always struggled with this. is really a first world podcaster problem. But when I talk about uh, when I talk about a, an app, or we do a desktop app pick on the Linux Action Show, I, I experiment with well, what do I do here? Do I link to the OpenSUSE build service? Do I link to the AUR? Do I link to a Deb and an RPM? And I have experimented to do with doing all of them, and it just feels ridiculous. And so what I've got, what I've what I have defaulted to doing is I generally link to maybe the Ubuntu version somewhere and the version I installed from the AUR or something like that right. because that's the one I did so I'll, you can reproduce what I've done. And the ability now to say just go here and download this snap and whatever distro you've chosen it's going to work for you now like Telegram and Harupad and Mumble is going to be a huge shift. And I, if this all goes well enough where it's adopted by a majority of application publishers mm-hmm. – there could become a point in time where we simply just remember a time before snap packages and then there's life after snap packages. Exactly. I will say as well, like I'm just, I've been using Lexd a lot, which also is also another Go daemon written by Ubuntu. And, and I've been quite pleased with it. So I'm, I think, you know, if Snapd is of similar quality, I, I could be okay with this as being the, Look at the universal package. Yeah. Hopi, do you have any, do you know anything about this? Is, is Go sort of like Canonical's, uh, not to be punny, but go-to language? Uh, yeah, it's funny. I remember when I very first started at the company, um, so three and a bit years ago, I remember Mark evangelizing about, Mark Shuttleworth evangelizing about Go and saying it was the next big thing. And like, this is obviously pre, uh, some of the other new things that have come out from Google and, uh, right. uh Apple and Microsoft and so on. But it, you know, he was, he was evangelizing it f- for a while, some time ago. And now, a lot of the developers have picked up on that and said, actually, it is quite a nice, nice language to develop in. And so a lot of the tools, like, but even if someone's just hacking together a little command line tool, they'll do it in Go or a daemon, they'll do it in Go. Mm-hmm. So it, it seems quite popular with developers as well. Yeah. I get a lot of good feedback about Go and Rust and Dakota Radio. Um, and people seem to feel like Go is really something special and wonder why Google doesn't use it more themselves. <laughs> uh, Rotten, I guess I'll, I'll give you a, a chance to chime in here as somebody who's uh, packaging up applications for different distributions. This has got to be potentially offering a big relief. Now, how much do you expect users to actually go out and enable Snap support on their distro of choice, though? Uh, well, hopefully it'll it'll become, uh, in, in a while from now, I, hope, I, I expect, but hopefully it will become a normal thing. But it, even if all, even if, if Ubuntu, the base of Ubuntu and all the flavors were just snaps and everybody else used flat packs or app images or whatever, I don't care. That's at least ten t- tenfold mm-hmm. better than what I currently have to do. So for my – every time I make a new release, I have uh, – I make 19 packages for everything. Wow! So, Dang, yeah. that is rough. So have, and that's not even that's not even the, the maintenance where I have to contact the maintainers of each distro oh. for packages we don't make. So I have to deal with those too, and then I have to make sure that the package builds and the e builds are all up to date and things like that, which they're not always. And then there, and that doesn't even take into account that I have to make new versions. I have to make different packages for each version of a distro. 
So if like Fedora 22, Fedora 23. So every time we make a new release of, of our app, we also have to make a new package for that distro and every version of that distro that is still currently supported. So for like Ubuntu, we have like four. So we have so many packages we have to make and just and if we have three new universal things that take over i would be i would be so ecstatic for yeah, that sure. just to have to have three, three rather than 20 <laughs> or whatever wow it's hey. funny on the on the subject of um, packaging uh, we've done a couple of events last tuesday and this tuesday or a couple of tuesdays ago and this tuesday we did a thing called the snappy playpen and um <laughs> the idea was that we would create a GitHub repo in which we just dump the configuration file. So to make a snappy package, there's a YAML file, a plain text YAML mm-hmm. file that describes the build of the application. It's, yeah, it's pretty straightforward. Anyone can read it and it's not hard to pick right. up. Yeah. And, but we, you know, snap is quite new and we've been finding all the various edges and pointy sharp places that we mustn't touch. Mm. And it's a learning exercise for us as well as, you know, people like Rotten who is, you know, developing his apps and wants to package them up. So we've been doing this and packaging a random bunch of applications, some of them less random kind of well chosen applications in order to um find those pointy sharp places so that we can educate other people on how to package stuff up. So when they say, okay, I've got my GNOME app or I've got my KDE app or I've got my, mm-hmm. you know, C++ OpenGL app, how do right. I package it up as a snap? And we could just point them at this GitHub repo and in there are examples. So we're not, we're not necessarily uploading all of these to the store. They're upstream programs. Like for example, I packaged up MindTest, the free software oh, very nice. Minecraft clone. Uh, so if you, you know, if you want to see how to package up an open GL C++ application and it, and it packages, packages it from the tip of Git. So you could run this command snapcraft in order to build yourself a snap package, which is, you know, bleeding edge nightly build. So you could run a cron job, potentially a cron job, which built you a snap package overnight, every night and uploaded it to a, a nightly version to the store. Mm. So every day your users get the freshest version. Hmm. Uh, I, Rotten, you had a response to uh, to that, and there's a bit of a but in it, I think. No, not really. It's it's more of um, hope, hopefulness. So the, the point that Pepe was making about how the upstream is controlling it, that is something I've been begging for for at least 10 years now. Um, even though... Like no, there was never there was never even on the radar. But I've been I've been hoping for something like that for years. And when I when I contact a maintainer of an app to get my app updated in the repos, it could take anywhere from a couple days to a year and a half before I get a reply. It's it's a horrible uh, process that I understand why people have a problem with packaging for Linux, really, but. With the fact that Snappy allows for the, main, the upstream maintainers and developers to control when stuff gets updated and pushed to, to the users, that is yep. something I've been waiting for. And I am so excited. I, I'm like beside myself. So what you just touched on is exactly – I mean I've talked about it before, but we've been recently talking about NextCloud and Frank. And Frank and I had a off-the-record conversation uh, that was sort of on the record in the sense that 
he knows I've been telling this story for years now. Um, he had a very, you know, sort of unfortunate fight with Debian for a while because they were shipping such old versions of OwnCloud in right. the repo that users were installing version 7 when version 8 would be out or something like, you know, or version 5 when version 8 would be out was actually the case. It was really bad. Oh, yikes. Riddled with security, no longer getting updates. And uh, he said, you know, really the way uh, – our pace of development, the features that we are adding to stay competitive – uh, the methodology in which we publish it, all of it, it, it just – it's more appropriate if it comes directly from us. It just works better for the end user. It's more secure. We can right. we can support it. Plus, we don't – we're not end up – we don't end up having to answer support questions for fit for five versions of software. So from a from a developer standpoint, I think people are really encouraged. Just like that X screensaver mess that's going on in Debian right now. Yes, exactly. And, you know, I think here's here's what it would really take. I think snap packages if they if they could benefit from the docker effect I think it would be like wildfire. Yeah. What really did what really for docker what you were able to do and you could be just the laziest Linux user ever. You could be like one of those, uh, not to insult you guys, but one of those uh, web developers that uses a Mac and then SSH into his Ubuntu server. And uh, Docker came along, and all of a sudden you didn't have to deal with actually installing Linux software. You could just pull down a Docker image, and boom, you had an Someone inti- already provisions it for you. Man. Yeah. You had, but, oh, you, oh you, want a, you, want a, you want a Minecraft server. You want a Mumble server. You want an own cloud server. You want a Zimbra server. Yeah, just pull down the Docker image. It's good to go. If Ubuntu, if Canonical can get enough adoption around Snap, packages where I could install what we as Linux users used to consider extremely complicated installations, things like entire desktop environments. Right. If, I can, if I can reduce installing an entire desktop environment down to one or two snap packages, if I want to try out the latest Plasma desktop, I can download a single or maybe four or whatever it is snap packages and I have that entire thing and I haven't mucked up all the depths on my system. I was system. about to say the other nice part is like when you want to remove it. Yeah. Done. Gone. Your system's going to be... Another example, Ardour. Ardour is universally known as one of the harder applications to install and get everything working. If I could pull down a single snap package, double-click that, and have a working installation of Ardour, and you multiply this across all of the little edge cases in Linux where it's hard to get this particular thing set up or involves trashing your entire system with uh, libraries from something, and and you start solving that problem and get enough projects behind it that people want, I, I think... I think the the idea of having to install SnapD first is well that's a no brainer because it's I mean hell that's even easier than getting Docker set up so there is a bit of a Docker effect that could happen go ahead I I I think I agree with you what you're what you're suggesting really is there needs to be the killer app yeah you, you, and the you know you need to, so I've I've been looking at what as part of this Snappy Playpen thing is looking at what are apps that people really want and that are often updated with a very high velocity a, a fast cadence like Nextcloud um that people want the bleeding edge version um but other people might want a stable version so you know you could have two snaps a nightly and a and a stable and uh one of the ones I I looked at was today was Arda actually and so nice. I was I started building a snap for Arda today and Audacity as well and I came across a couple of bugs which are being filed and those will be fixed but yeah those are exactly the kind of apps and the you know the Caden lives and the things that move yeah. quickly where you want the latest thing I packaged up a snap for FFmpeg because everyone wants you know the latest oh, codex and all that from kind everyone of stuff. thank so, you um, so yeah, that and MPV as well. I did MPV today. MPV was super easy. That was like not hard at all. So yeah, it's 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 good fun. And so and now, when you install the MPV snap, will it automatically? How does it get updated? 
So I, this is the thing. I, I, while I was creating the, the Snapcraft configuration, the idea is that I would then give this to the upstream developer and say, here you go. Here's the configuration. Here's how you make a snap. Because rather than burden them with, you know, yet another packaging thing they format, have to learn. I just tell them, this is the configuration file. You run this command on an Ubuntu system and you'll get a snap out of it. Or, if you want to, you can push your code or mirror your code to Launchpad, and Launchpad will build you a snap for you, nice. um, much the same way as it builds Debs in a PPA. And then you can just push that to the store as and when you're ready. And if you want, you can have two channels. You can have a channel for beta tester users and a channel for stable users. So some of your people might be wanting the bleeding edge version, and you can, you know, canary it out to them, and then they can play with it, and then you can push it out to your stable users. See, that's um, pretty nice. So it's so you would get updates when the developer uploads them. I, I don't intend to upload MPV or mind test to the store. I intend to, you know, put a contribution to upstream and say, here's a, here's how you, here's how you package it. You upload it to the store because then they control it. They can see the right. stats. They yeah. can see all that kind of and stuff. And they maintain it. Uh, yeah. that is really cool. And so, so you, you're doing a few proof of concepts there and saying, Hey, if you want to know how I did it, here's all the, here's all the information. Yeah. We're putting it all on GitHub. If you just go to GitHub and search for snappy playpen, you'll find them all. <laughs> uh, that I don't know. I I feel like there's going to be a bunch of naysayers that'll say this competes with OBS in this way, and this competes with that in this way, and this is not invented here syndrome. But I, part of me, I I actually think Canonical would have had a good degree of success if this would have been Ubuntu only, and if this technology never would have left the Ubuntu platform. Um, and the fact the not that- invented here one is quite funny though, Chris. Uh, just as a little like nugget of information, if you look at the very first commit done to Snappy, it was done on the 12th of the 12th, 2014. If you look at the very first commit done to XDG app, it was done five days later on the 17th of the 12th, 2014. <laughs> <laughs> so, so they're very close. I, I, yeah. I don't know who could call that. It's very yeah. close. Well, and I think, you know, I think part of it is. I think we have to sort of change the mindset a bit. What we have to do is we ha- – I think it's reasonable to expect Canonical to spend their time and resources developing something that's ideal for their platform. I I think it's actually sort of, sort of surprising that you guys went to the effort to actually package it up and, and, and push it out further because – you really never had to do that. That never really had to happen. It could have been. Yeah, how like, dare we be good uh, citizens in the Linux? Environment. It could have been an Ubuntu-specific <laughs> thing. That's though. not our stick. Never. It, it could have been a nice competitive edge, I suppose. Um, and a big enough, you guys are a big enough ecosystem that you yeah, could have made so. it work. I just think it's. I think it's. Even though it's another option, I think it looks like a pretty good one, and I think it, it has. There's a lot of positives to it. I'm not saying I necessarily know if it's going to be the winner, but I like the start. The start seems pretty strong, and the partners already on board seem pretty good. And the potential for just being useful within the Ubuntu ecosystem seems strong. So overall, it seems kind of like a winner, just depending on how much adoption it gets from here. I guess we'll just wait and see, like so many other things. But uh, I know what I, I think probably pretty much going forward, I will be installing SnapD on my Arch systems. Why not? I think that's kind, right? of, I think that's kind of a big thing. I haven't – I guess I did get Flatpak working too. I do have Flatpak support too, but – and I have done an app. I wonder how, when we'll start seeing like meta wrappers around these things, or like a <laughs> like an AUR built-in kind of support thing. I feel like someone at home or in the car right now is like pulling out their hair though and wants to argue with us uh, because we haven't heard a lot of opposition in the uh, virtual lug today. So that either means that people you sort of universally think it's probably kind of a good thing, or or that person that 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 person who doesn't agree 
hasn't been properly represented. If that's you, you should join us next week. Join our virtual love. That's right, because we'd love to hear from you. Or you can leave us a comment at linuxactionshow.reddit.com. We love those, too. You'll find episode 149 listed there. Links to the stuff we talked about, like snap packages and all the other things, will be in the show notes. Just go find episode 149. We do the Unplugged program on Tuesdays over at jblive.tv. You can go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar to find out when we're live. Probably can look forward to some Noah stopping by in the future, too, when I go out uh, around the first week of That's July. That's always an adventure. Yeah, yeah. All right, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Remember, you can follow uh, live announcements also at, uh, at Jupiter Signal. That's always handy as well. See you next Tuesday. You know, I was just thinking about it. Really, the benchmark where I'd be happy for Snap Packages to get to would be if when I get new people to switch over to Linux, I can just say, download this file and install this program. And it doesn't matter which distro they've chosen. I know there's a high probability that most of the apps are going to want there's going to be a Snap Package. That's really the only – that's the bar. That's really the bar for me. Do uh, Snap Packages work on uh, GNU slash (laughs) K-Windows? That's, I mean, I it does, actually. I wonder. Yes, they will. Would, they if, have if, to. If, yeah, they, yeah. I mean, why not? Right? They would have because to. the subsystem is fourteen oh four. But when they update to sixteen oh four, it it theoretically would. Awesome. Are they going to update it to sixteen oh four? And how There's does that talk would, about it? Yeah. Does that come down as a Windows? I guess it would be like a Microsoft Store update for your new Ubuntu sixteen oh four. Oh, it's gross. My brain hurts. It's gross. All right, jbtitles.com, jbtitles.com. Oh, I gotta it's, shake it's that. It's funny because people people are gonna talk about it. How you know, like the flat packs are. People are, are are already saying that Snappy wasn't good because it wasn't cross distro and stuff. So now that that's done, people can you know pick up other things to complain about. Hmm. But. I think it's fantastic, and I don't care which one is taking over. I just want something to take over. And a fundamental problem with the Linux ecosystem is the package distribution. As someone who's maintained and developed and you know did it on basically every angle, because I work in distros and I also pr- uh, make software, it is one of the most frustrating things of being a Linux user. I understand when a company says there's that's too much work. Because for the most part, they're right. And Snappy and Flatpak and whatever provides a solution to that fundamental problem we've had for so long that I am I, I could not be more excited for the horrible experience of package distribution to be over. Yeah, I think it's I think it, it served it serves it serves it still remains a well tool a well, how's the right way to say this. It's the right tool for maintaining the distribution and the core distribution packages. It seems like it's probably not the right tool for a lot of uh a lot of applications we distribute over the web now. Right. Yeah, Chris, I think you've said before, you know, uh, uh you know, repos and downloadable distros 15 years ago you know, um, Linux and Linux distros were way ahead of the yeah, curve compared right. to commercial OSs. Totally. You know, we had you know a little bit of an advancement when PPAs became a thing. You know, but it's been stagnant for a while. And you know, Apple with the you know the iTunes Store, 
Uh, Microsoft is trying to replicate things with the Windows Store. Right. You know, they caught on. They realized, oh, hey, we need a store. We need a central distribution system. Um, you know, so I guess here's where I'm going to dissent is, you know, how do we uh, keep the benefits of a, a centralized download repository and the security and the assurances that gives users uh, while also easing, you know, the difficulties for distribution and for package maintainers. You know, I think, I think there's, I think the way this happens is you have to have two components. You have to have the front end component. And I think that's, I think you already have canonicals fork or whatever you want to call it of GNOME software that uh, is going to work with snap packages, does work with snap packages. Yeah, there's no reason that couldn't be reincorporated back into mainline GNOME software, I would assume. So there's your front end. Then I, I would imagine if this thing really took off and people were really shipping software and businesses who depend on it to maybe earn a revenue are shipping software, uh, I bet the pressure to, on Canonical to open source any remaining behind-the-scenes bits would be would be, would probably, they would probably just do it. I mean, they would probably do that as part of well, this thing, right. has, this thing has grown beyond our initial vision. It's now sort of become part of the ecosystem. So here's the last remaining And even bits. if not, that'll just get re-implemented exactly. if it's big enough. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. my, so my concerns would definitely be satiated if, you know, each of the distros, you know, if, if they rely on, you know, GNOME software, um, you know, being able to read and understand flat packs and snaps, um, you know, so that, again, I guess the, the biggest thing that I don't want to see come from this is that, you know, Oh, I heard about this great new app, you know, whether it's, you know, Telegram or, you know, new app X. Um, and I just go to a random website and download it as a noob, um, you know, because even if it is secure, even if it is sandboxed, you know, it, is it still trustworthy? Um, yeah. How do you how do you avoid that, though? Because it, I see that every time I switch somebody over to Linux, that's the first thing they do is they go Google it and go try to download it from right. the website. It's just built in. They never even you know. think about the App Store or a repo. Like, it, it's just not even – Some even like Mac users and stuff where you, yeah. they're supposed to oh, yeah. use that. You know, it's like yeah. you just – you type you type it into Google and you hit download and it's supposed to work. So how do you oh, avoid that? So, yeah, so many Windows users that, you know, I see coming over – you know, they're used to, you know, the first thing they do once they get a new Windows box up, they download Night Night Installer or Night Night Installer to go download, you know, 7-Zip and LibreOffice and, you know, all of these other, you know, random, you know, binaries from the Internet. And I show them Ubuntu Mate Welcome and I'm like, well, this yeah. is 10 times better. Yeah. But you see, here's where I feel like. I feel like Snap Packages sort of provide for both because you, you have GNOME software. You could easily integrate it into – well, not easily, but there could be future improvements to uh, Mate Welcome to support Snap Packages. And uh, the, also, there is, a, there is that back-end repository that if you integrate with Launchpad or the back-end you know, index. So if you, if you could convince a user just to use a front-end piece of software to do all the searching, Snap Packages provide for that. But if you can't convince them, Snap packages also provide for at least a semi-streamlined, standardized, and hopefully secure way to do downloads off the web directly when users opt to go that route. So yeah, it seems agreed. like it provides for both. And I and I would also agree. So my hope is um, is that um, app pack, Snap packagers um, and the upstreams, you know, do buy into both pieces. That you know they see the benefits already with the ability with the packaging, the ease of packaging. And the improvement that has over working with distro maintainers, but they also buy into the backend integration. You know whether it's uh, linking to uh, to Launchpad or GNOME software or whatever mm-hmm. the case may be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, there could also be something like the UApp Explorer things. I mean, right now it's kind of messy, but if there was a website that just catalogs everything that's in the Snap Store, 
Um, and then you, all you need to do is, you know, click a button that would then activate either GNOME software or just load it up a thing to start installing from the snap from that, that they, they don't really care. They're just used to going to on the web and finding it. So if you say there's a store that you could use it, like, awesome, great. We'll do that. If you, if they just search by, you know, out of, you know, the normal expectation and they find the, something like the U app Explorer and they just click an install button, they don't care if they're downloading or not. They would probably prefer it if it would just start installing Mm-hmm. So, if you provide, if you solve both of those issues of their expectation, and also you know embrace the new, re- the store concept, I think that they would have no problem transitioning whatsoever, and would probably like it even better. 